0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and may be found on page 965 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. It was 10 o'clock in the morning when Sandra Jacobson drove 80 miles per hour ...through the streets of downtown Denver. Her blood alcohol level was twice what it should have been. And it was 10 in the morning. She lost control of her pickup truck... ...crossed over two lanes of traffic and hit a taxi cab... ...carrying two female passengers ages 71 and 54. The taxi crashed into the median, killing both women while Sandra Jacobson fled the scene. She was later apprehended, arrested, charged and convicted of drunk driving and vehicular homicide. She already had multiple DUIs on her record. When she was brought before the judge, her brother pleaded with this judge named Robert McGahey for mercy. He said, My sister is not a career criminal. It was a terrible mistake she made, but not a crime. Let her off. The judge refused to hear it. And he said to the brother, I am not in the mercy business. I'm in the justice business. The judge sentenced Sandra Jacobson to 36 years in prison, the maximum penalty allowed by law. Now, I want you to know this morning that Judge McGahee did the right thing. Sandra Jacobson deserved to be punished to the fullest extent of the law. What she did was horrible. But what caught my eye when I read this story was what the judge said. What he said was, again, I'm not in the mercy business. I'm in the justice business. That statement does not square with the Bible. Now we understand what he meant, and in context you understand where he's going with that, but in isolation, that statement does not square with the Bible. You cannot be in the justice business without also being in the mercy business. According to the Bible, mercy and justice go together. They cannot be separated. You might have heard these words from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, Jesus calls his followers to do justice out of a heart of mercy. We're spending these weeks thinking together about the theme of living missionally every day. If you've been here with us recently, you know that we've been walking through the Gospel of Matthew, noticing the life of Jesus, noticing how He did mission, and then drawing some conclusions from that for ourselves and our own lives. Today I want to take that theme one step further and talk with you about justice. Let's talk first about what it is and then why we should do it and wrap up with a few thoughts about what it might look like if you and I were to practice justice more faithfully. So first, what is it? What is justice? And why was the judge wrong when he said, I'm in the justice business but not in the mercy business? Well, you see what justice is in this text today that Karen read a moment ago. Let me set it up for you. Here in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. If you know who John the Baptist was, he was sort of the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. And he was in prison. He had been imprisoned by the Roman Tetrarch, Herod Antipas. Well, while John was in prison, he heard about all that Jesus had been doing. And so he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus if he was in fact the Messiah. And instead of Jesus coming back to John with the message, yes, yes, John, I am He. You got it right. I'm the Messiah. Instead of that, Jesus says, go back and tell John that blind people are seeing. Lame people are walking again. Lepers are being cured. Deaf people are hearing. Dead people are being raised to life. And the gospel is being preached to the poor. Jesus says, you go tell him that. And he'll have the answer that he wanted. See, John knew the Scriptures. And Jesus knew that John knew the Scriptures. For example, John the Baptist would have known Isaiah 61, 1, which says this. This is a prophecy looking forward to the coming of the Christ. And Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So in our text for Matthew 11, Jesus is saying, of course, I'm the Messiah. Captives are being set free, aren't they? Blind people are given back their sight, aren't they? Dead people are coming to life again, aren't they? And the good news is being preached to the poor. What further proof could you need than that, that I am in fact the one who was to come? And so here we get to the meaning of justice. Justice is more than punishing people who have done wrong. Justice, according to the Bible, means making things right. It means restoring wholeness to creation and to society. And sometimes, sometimes that means punishing people who do bad things. But it also means healing the sick and loving the poor, protecting the poor from being exploited by others, dealing fairly in the marketplace, standing up for the rights of the oppressed, Justice means not showing favoritism. It means giving people what is due them as fellow human beings. It means being kind and compassionate and, yes, merciful. All through the Bible, God's people are called to do justice of that sort. For example, to go back again to the prophet Isaiah In chapter 58, he says this, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, speaking for God, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Is it not when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? The Israelites had to be told this again and again. Again, back in the prophet Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1, God says to them, Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Stop burning incense hypocritically. When you hold up your hands in prayer, I will not listen. Because you see, the people of Israel were getting away from doing justice. And Isaiah 1 goes on to say, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. That's what I want you to do, God says to Israel. Zechariah chapter 7, to use another example, God says to the people through the prophet Zechariah, administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. See, there is another clue that mercy and justice go together. They're right there in the same verse. And then he goes on to say, do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien, and we're not talking about visitors from outer space. Another word for alien might be foreigner or stranger or immigrant do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Someone has called those four groups the quartet of the vulnerable. Those were the people with no social power. Those were the people with no social capital. And God said to the nation of Israel, and He says to the church today, if you want to know where you are with Me, ask yourself how you're treating those types of people. If you want to know where you are with me, God says, find out how you're treating those sorts of people. It's like what James says in his little book. The Apostle James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Now do you see why it's impossible to say like that judge in Denver said That I'm in the justice business, but I'm not in the mercy business? Do you see why it's impossible to say that? Justice is the action which flows from the attitude of mercy. Or another way to put it would be, justice is the river that flows from the spring of mercy. You can't separate the two. You've got to be in both the justice and mercy business because they are essentially two ways to say the same thing. Now, that's what justice is. Let's ask the question, why do we do it? Why do Christians do justice? Why should Christians do justice? And the answer is not because it's trendy. The answer is not because Bono said to do it. There are biblical reasons why we should do justice. Let me give you five. I started out in my study with seven, and I knew I didn't have time for seven. Then I whittled it down to six, and I didn't think I had time for six. So now I've got five reasons why Christians should do justice. And the first one is because God does. Why should Christians be concerned about the poor and oppressed? Because God is. That's the first and most basic reason. Justice flows out of God's nature and character. We do justice in the world because God does and because God values justice. Psalm 33 verse 5 says that the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. In recent weeks, as I said, we've been talking about living missionally every day. Well, guess what? God lives missionally every day. He came to seek and to save the widow, the orphan, the alien, and the poor, among others. The Bible says that God has a special place in his heart for those who have no economic or social power. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 6, "Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God." Deuteronomy 10:18 says that God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. This means that you cannot love God and be indifferent to the poor. It's not possible. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So that's the first reason why we who are believers in Jesus do and should do justice in the world. Second reason, why do we do it? Why should we be concerned about the poor and oppressed? Because in the second place, the kingdom that Jesus established is one of justice. The kingdom that Jesus established is one of justice. That's what he told John the Baptist, right? We saw that in our text today. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached to the poor. Jesus is basically saying that's the kind of kingdom that I came to bring into the world. That was the mission of Jesus when he came to the earth. And that is the nature of the kingdom that he's going to finally and fully bring in one day upon the new earth. When he does that, when Jesus inaugurates the new earth, Isaiah the prophet says in chapter 42 of his book that he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Listen to this, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. Friends, Jesus is now in this very moment making all things right. I know it doesn't feel that way. Some of you are or recently have been victims of injustice, unjust treatment. You're wondering how in the world is this true? It is true. In some secret ways, in often mysterious ways, God is in the act of making all things new right now. He is, he is restoring wholeness in people and in societies, and he is doing it through his church, and one day we will see it in full blast, in technicolor. Third reason why we do and should do justice, it's because the poor and the marginalized are human beings with incredible dignity made in the image of God. I'll say that again. We should do justice because the poor and oppressed are people of incredible dignity created in the image of God and for the glory of God. Just like you and me. Proverbs 31.9 says, Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And when I saw that verse, that word rights just leaped off the page. See, this is why the Bible uses the word justice to speak of caring for the poor. It's because to ignore the plight of the poor is not just an oversight. It's unjust. It's not right. The poor, the oppressed, the stranger, the widow, the Single mom, the single dad, the unwed mother has rights to which we are to give attention and for which we are to care by doing acts of justice. Poor people have rights. They have a right to people's respect. They have a right to health and safety. They have a right to a certain standard of living. And we who have so much, my goodness, don't we live in the lap of luxury compared to the rest of the world? I know we're in a problem economy right now, but compared to the rest of the world, my goodness, we are wealthy beyond people's imagination. We who have so much must share what we have with those who don't simply because they are part of the human family. Do you know that in Old Testament times God told farmers, this was a law, God commanded farmers not to harvest all of their crops but to leave some of them so that the poor could come and have them so that they would be available for poor people? That was a law in Israel. Do you know that in Old Testament times there was a law that said every 50 years all debts were canceled? All property would be given back to their original owners. Wouldn't that be... Fantastic. (laughs) Wouldn't you love to have your debts canceled? What was that? It was a signal that God said it's not right for people to be locked in endless poverty. It's not right. That's contrary to the image of God in them. Imagine that. At least once in everyone's lifetime in Old Testament Israel, they got a brand new start. They got a clean slate. Because... Human beings have rights. Fourth reason. Why should we do deeds of justice in the world? Because when we do works of justice and mercy, we earn a hearing for our words. We earn a hearing for our words. Matthew 5.16 says that our good works, and that's what we're talking about, there's nothing wrong with The phrase good works, you and I are called to do them. Matthew 5.16 says that our good works attract people to the message of the cross. And that's what we should want. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, good deeds of justice, good deeds of mercy, and praise your Father in heaven. And then we come to reason number five. You know... Some of these thoughts on justice have the effect of producing guilt in us. And I have found in my own experience that guilt motivates me for a while, but in a short while, the energy is gone. Guilt does not do permanent heart change. You know what it does? Grace. And this fifth reason, if some of you're sitting there feeling nothing but guilt, <laughs> this fifth reason will be fresh water for you because this is where grace comes in. Why should we do works of justice? Because we were poor and marginalized when God found us. We were poor and marginalized when God found us. Deuteronomy 10:19 says you are to love those who are aliens for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. I don't know where you were when God found you. Some of you know exactly where you were. Others of you, if you're a believer in Jesus today, maybe it was over a long process. Maybe you don't know how, when it happened. But at some point in your life, perhaps unknown to you, when God looked down at you, he saw you as totally spiritually bankrupt. When God looked down at you, you were blind. And he sent Jesus to give you eyes to see. When God looked down at you in your sin, you were leprous, absolutely leprous with sin. And God sent Jesus to cure you of that leprosy. You were deaf to the good news of forgiveness and Jesus gave you ears to hear the message. You were spiritually dead and Jesus gave you a new life. You were poor, absolutely penniless. And Jesus gave you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. How can those who have been given so much grace not be concerned for the widow? and the orphan, the alien, and the poor. I mean, concern for the poor and oppressed simply flows out of the heart that has been saved by grace. See, when you understand the gospel, I mean, when you really get it down here in your deepest core, that you did absolutely nothing to save yourself, that you were spiritually poor and eternally condemned because of your sin. That God saw you in your sin and in your misery and he said to you, I love you. I'm sending my son specifically to die for you. I forgive you. I want you to spend eternity with me. When God looked at you in Christ and said, you're beautiful to me. I will justify you. I will bring you home to glory forever. If you really get that, it'll turn you into a person who instead of being self-righteous and self-absorbed, when you see somebody out there in the world who is downtrodden or poor or lonely or substance-addicted or something like that, you won't just write them off. You won't think less of them. Because you'll say, but for the grace of God, there go I. You will know there's no difference between you and them. And God was merciful and gracious to you, so you'll be merciful and gracious to them. When you really get grace, you will do it. You will love those who are aliens because you'll know, oh yeah, I was an alien too. And God saved me out of my Egypt. We've seen what justice is. We've seen why we should do it. I want to close with some thoughts and they're merely the beginning of a conversation that I hope we will continue to have, not only through the rest of this series, but on into the future. I want to ask what it might look like if we as a church were to practice justice more faithfully and consistently. What might it look like? What might our church look like if we were to go from this level of doing justice up to that one and beyond? Well, let me show you this diagram. This is something that we looked at back at Vision Sunday. This is a picture of our church on the left and our mission. But we want to go out into this world and equip our church to make disciples, both locally and globally, right? I mean, that's what our mission is, to know God, to grow together, and to serve others. But when we go out, what are we going to do? We need a focus And so in our strategic plan, what we did was we asked ourselves, what are the things that it appears clear that God has prepared UPC to do? And what are the things that we're passionate about? And what are the things that we are uniquely positioned in this community to accomplish? And this is what we feel led by God to come up with. These three things are targets, mission targets, that as we move out from our safe confines here at UPC into the world, into the community, these are the three things that we want to focus on. These, you might call, are our unique contribution to the kingdom of God in East Orlando. It's unique. Our contribution is not going to be the same as Spirit of Joys down the street not going to be the same as our sister church, CKC. It's not going to be the same as the church we prayed for earlier today, Woodbury Presbyterian. These are our contributions to the kingdom. And we wanted them to be memorable, so we came up with UPC. The U stands for reaching UCF. The P stands for promoting families. And the C is the one we're talking about right now. Caring for the poor and the marginalized in our community these three things are where we want to focus our energies our resources our time our effort and today we're talking about c caring for the poor and marginalized question is who are they here's a list i came up with this is not in, uh, uh, it's not a complete list but these are some of the people that are surrounding our church who are poor and marginalized And as you look at that list, you probably do what I did as I was thinking about it. I I said, you know, we can't meet all these needs. And I want to say, we're not meant to. We're meant to do what God has called and equipped us to do and let the whole body of Christ contribute their part to the task. God has a specific calling to UPC that's different from the calling of other churches. And maybe your role is a small one. In this calling. But if everybody does something with the blessing of God, we can see things change. I read a story recently about a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I think it's called Summit Church. They prayed about what they should do in their community because they were sort of at the same place we were. They had a lot of good things going on and they wanted to just leverage those and they wanted to take them up to another level. They wanted to do justice in their community. So they prayed about it and said, God, what do you want us to do? They noticed that in the neighborhood there was a, an elementary school. And they began to focus on that elementary school. They talked to the school officials about putting on a festival for the school. They said, can we put on a festival? And they did it. They, they pulled out all the stops. They threw it out there and did a great job during the festival. And they noticed when they were at the school how dirty and unkempt the facilities were. So they offered to the principal, they said, could we come back during spring break and do a school cleanup? Let it be our project as a church. And the principal said, absolutely, come back and do that. So they did it. And then while they were doing that, the principal asked if they could also build some relationships with some of the needy families in that school. And they did that too. They developed relationships. They found out that one of the families in that school had had their house burned down at Christmas time. And so the church got together, they did a task force, and they brought all kinds of housewares and food to that needy family. One of the elders went to one of the teachers in that school and said, what, what supplies do you need? We'll Let us buy them for you. And they did that. But the principal, who heard about their offer, said, okay, supplies are great. But you know what we really need? It was near the end of the school year. It was final exam time. And their school was going to be evaluated on the basis of the performance of those children on their final exams. And so the principal said to the uh, the pastor of the church, he said, would you bring some of your people and just during final exam week, walk up and down the halls and pray? Just pray. And that's exactly what they did. They prayed during final exam week. Do you know that in the four years that this church was working with that school, it went from being the worst-ranked school in Durham County to the top-ranked school. The principal was interviewed by the Durham, uh, the Durham Herald Sun, and he, quote, he said this, quote We have to give credit where credit is due. I give credit to God through the people of Summit Church. The school invited the church to a big party at the end of the school year. The church's worship team provided music for the party a teacher stood up and said this, I've never known what Christians mean about loving your neighbor until now. The pastor of this church got invited to speak at Durham's annual Martin Luther King rally. It was said that he was the first white guy to ever be invited to speak at that rally. The county manager told the pastor after the rally was over that he had been invited because of what his church did for the city. The county manager said this, Everywhere we turn and there's a need in our city, your people are there. We couldn't think of anybody better to speak about the good going on in our city than you. And after that rally, the church got a standing ovation from everybody who attended. Now, folks, it's stories like that that illustrate the power of being intentional about social justice done by the church in its community. So what can you do? First, pray. Will you just go home and pray about this whole topic? Talk about it with your family. Talk about it over lunch today or in the weeks ahead. Talk with your life group, with your Bible study, with your youth group, with whoever you hang out with here at the church. Talk with them about should we respond to this message by somehow getting involved in some kind of way Get involved with one of our existing ministries. I made a list of them. I probably left one or more of them off, but these are some of the things that UPC is doing now. The Life Care Center is right down the street. It's a, uh, an extended living facility for the elderly. Mana is our ministry to the homeless in our area. Christian Help is a ministry to the unemployed. True Life Choice to unwed moms and dads. Grief share to those who grieve. Samaritan Resource Center is something that's just beginning now. It's going to be a service center for our community, for the homeless, for the needy, for families whose homes have been taken away from them because of the economy, everything else. Riverdale Elementary is right around the corner. We have a relationship there. Our deacons do mercy. Stephen Ministry cares for people who are in need. We do mission trips. I mean, these are just some of the things that we do. And what might be happening among you right now is one of these things said, oh, that's, that's me. That's what I'm interested in. And if you're not involved in some way in doing justice, maybe what you should do is take your little sign-in slip that you're going to hand in in the offering basket shortly and just write the name of one of those things that caught your eye and we'll get back to you with who the leader of it is and what some of the needs are and how you can get involved in that particular way. I want to say to you that God has everybody in this room this morning in a place where you can live out justice. Some of you are already doing it through your work. We've got people who do justice because they're a nurse or a doctor or a teacher. Maybe you're in a nonprofit or something like that. Uh, Some of you can do justice at your school campus, in your job, via the Internet or right there in your own backyard. The point is, everybody here can do something. So go home and pray. Would you pray and ask God to direct your steps and show you where to go and what to do? Jesus will help you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, You know my heart. You know how much I, for one... Love, comfort. You know how much I lean towards self-absorption, self-concern. You know how uncomfortable I am with certain groups of people. You know the people I want to avoid, the places I don't want to be. And Lord, I suspect I'm speaking for many of us. Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a people that goes on mission like Jesus did it. And so we offer ourselves to you today. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to fill us with such a deep sense of the gospel that it'll move us to compassion and concern for the poor and the oppressed. For those right around us in our neighborhood, right around us at work, at school, maybe even in our own family, for those in other nations of the world, who, for whatever reason, are not experiencing life as you want it to be experienced. Lord, use us. Send us, we pray. Give us a burden. Give us a burden as a church for the ways in which we can make an impact on our community for the gospel. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.